0: chapter 3, starting at verse 11. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This, then, is how we know that we belong to the truth, and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask, because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We
1: know it by the Spirit he gave us. Amen. An irate customer called the newspaper office, loudly demanding to know where her Sunday edition was. Ma'am said the employee today is Saturday, the Sunday paper is not delivered until Sunday. There was quite a pause on the other end of the phone followed by these words. So that's why no one was in church today. (laughs) Customer service. We've all been there. You're on the phone and there's a voice on the other end of the phone and you don't know the person. That person doesn't know you. Uh, For them, you're just one voice in a long list of voices on that particular day. And to you, they're a voice that represents a potential lifeline of hope. In fact, just this very week, I had a rep from Apple on the phone, and then minutes later, a rep from another organization on the phone. While I had a guy uh, from another company on a Zoom call, Uh, this was all happening at the same time. It was uh, insanity and but they were all super helpful and uh, I think that we're one step closer to having a church app that's what all of these conversations were about so I think we're one step closer but it's a it's a fairly convoluted process way above my pay grade which is why I need customer service but when um, But when we deal with customer service, there are times uh, in the conversation when you know, you just know that this conversation is going absolutely nowhere. And you know that you're getting frustrated. And so you say these five immortal words. Actually, six immortal words. Can I speak? to a supervisor. And that's the moment when, in effect, what you're saying to the other person on the other end of the phone, you're saying, thanks, but I think I've gotten out of you all that I'm able to get, so let me speak to someone with real authority, someone who is greater than the issue that I have. And friends, you have a heart issue. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? This is what Jeremiah, the the weeping prophet, asks in Jeremiah 17 verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? He's on the phone with customer service. He knows that he has a defective product. He knows that his heart is not doing what it's supposed to be doing. Then the voice of the, on the other end of the call says to him in verse 10 of Jeremiah chapter 17, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind and reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. You have a heart issue, and God is the only one who can troubleshoot it friends god knows your heart and he is greater than your heart as first john 3 verse uh, 20 tells us and what that means is that when you talk honestly with god you are speaking to the supervisor there is no one else he's it Now after sinning, uh, and he's in the black cave of regret and remorse, David cries out, create in me a pure heart, oh God. Psalm 51, and we just sang that. God doesn't just understand your malfunctioning heart, he can create in you a pure one. Only God's able to do this. Only he, he can see the shame and the sin in your heart, and only he can fix it, because God is greater than your heart. First Samuel 16, verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things uh, people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God sees the true you. He sees beyond the you that you present to everyone else. He sees your heart, and God is greater than your heart. We read in the book of Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Why is this? Because he is greater than your heart. Jesus himself tells us in Matthew 22:37, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Why is this? Because your heart was created to find its need for purpose and fulfillment and affection outside of itself. It's not a self-sufficient system. It's not a closed system. Your heart points to the one that is greater than it, and that one is God. God is greater than your heart. In in Matthew chapter 6, 21, Jesus tells us that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Friends, place your treasure in God who alone is worthy of this trust because God is greater than your heart. Let, Let your heart find its home with him. Psalm 119 verse 10 says, I seek you with all of my heart. Now, do you seek God with all of your heart? Because God is the landscape that your heart longs to explore. God is the landscape that your heart longs to explore. God wants us to seek him and find him with all of our heart because God is greater than our heart. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer, Psalm 19, verse 14. O God, may these things up here that I choose to think on make you happy. May the pictures that are on the walls of my mind and heart encourage you to come and visit me and spend time with me. God is greater than your heart. God is greater than your heart. And I say this over and over again until you're sick of it, and I'm sick of it because we don't really believe it. You see, God is greater in quantity. Your heart is limited and small and weak, but God is joyful and big and robust and hope-filled and content. This is God. And God is greater in quality as well. Your heart is frail and sickly looking. Your heart faints and and fails. But God is trustworthy and steadfast and faithful. He is pure and perfect. God is greater than your heart. Amen. Amen. Now when we talk about our heart, sometimes we speak about our heart like it's a separate being. But when the Bible talks about your heart, what it's talking about, what it means, is the true you. Your heart is you. Your heart is the center of things. Your heart is your will. Your heart is the seat of your emotions and your consciousness. Your heart is your inner life. Your heart is the real you. And Proverbs 4 verse 23 tells us, Above all else, Above all else, nothing else matters except this. Above all else, guard your heart for everything that you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from it. But what do we do and how do we respond when our hearts rebel against us? Remember that your heart is you, so what do you do when you rebels against you? When our very selves are in civil war, the answer is that we need to speak to a supervisor. We need to speak to one who is greater than our heart. Now Cain, mentioned in verse 12 of First John chapter 3, is the earliest example with the exception of Adam and Eve, of someone who chose to listen to his own heart rather than God. John says in verse 12 that Cain belonged to the evil one and he murdered his brother. And this all started with Cain bringing God a half-hearted offering, as Genesis 4 verse 4 tells us. He brought God his leftovers, and God did not accept this. God wanted all of Cain's heart. And because Cain thought that God should accept whatever he brings, because isn't that God's job to accept whatever we bring? Cain got resentful and he got angry But God, in his grace, comes to Cain in Genesis 4, verse 6, and he says, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. What a picture. What an image. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Friends, this is human history in a sentence. When we unseat God from his place at the center of our lives, and when we place ourselves on the throne, we are left on our own. We have to solve our own problems. There is no supervisor on the phone anymore because we've hung up on him. On the other hand, the life with God at the center is a life at peace not only with itself and not only with its maker but also with those around it when God's love is central we see others as God sees them not as an adversary that we must overcome like Cain did with Abel but we view them with love as as verse 14 of 1 John 3 tells us we know it says in, in verse 14 we know that we've passed from death to life because we love each other it's a sign It's a proof. Love is a sign of life. And Jesus is our ultimate example of this, uh, as we see in verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And when we read that, friends, this is not a I-have-to thing. Cain's offering was an I-have-to thing, and it was not accepted by God but when God replaces us at the center of our lives, we suddenly have access to this indescribable, supernatural well of love that we cannot explain and we cannot take credit for. And when we have access to that well, we, we cannot help but love each other and give sacrificially to each other, as verse 17 tells us. If, if anyone has... M- material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them how can the love of god be in that person and i find that incredibly challenging if i see someone in need and i don't have any pity on them how can the love of god be in me and i think of all the times in fact i'm thinking of a moment right now in my mind that, yet yeah, that the Lord is challenging me about. God is greater than your heart. Allow him to fill you and take his rightful place as king of your heart. So how is God greater than your heart? Well, God is greater in size than your heart. God is greater in generosity than your heart. God is greater in wisdom than your heart. God is greater in stature than your heart. God is greater in truth than your heart. God is greater in beauty than your heart, and yet we choose to navel-gaze and look in the mirror, and we choose to listen to our own heart rather than God when we, when we choose to take our own advice from our inner place of our life, rather than seeking God's opinion, we are, in effect, hanging up on God, leaving him w- with a dial tone as we try to fix our problems, the problems that we ourselves caused. Friends, your, your, your heart is sometimes your worst enemy. Don't trust your heart. Don't follow your heart. If your heart does not have its locus or its purpose outside of itself, then it's trusting itself to be everything that you need. And like I said earlier, your heart is you. So if you're stuck down a hole and you're shouting and calling and crying out and you're expecting you to throw you a rope, well, you see the problem. Here's the truth. Our hearts really condemn us. As verse 20 of 1 John 3 tells us, our hearts really point the finger. Our heart says to us, you may as well quit. Your heart says to you that God would never love someone like you. Now, I wonder, have you ever experienced that kind of self-talk? If you have, you shouldn't be surprised. After all, you got yourself into the pit in the first place. We, we, we each get ourselves into this pit, and so we need someone else to get us out of it. My, my, my heart tells me that I'm a fake. My heart tells me that I'm not worthy. My heart tells me that my sin has disqualified me from this race that God has placed me in. My heart tells me that I should quit leading and that I should go do something else. My heart speaks loud and clear, my heart condemns me and if I'm honest many times my heart is right in and of myself I am not worthy I have sinned myself into a dead end road I have failed way too often we are consumed with the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and my heart knows this and my heart points the finger at me and says, who do you think you are? My heart condemns me. First John 1 verse 8 says this, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, right? And so most of the time, our heart is right, but the heart, like many villains, overplays its hand, because the heart, in addition to being right, also tries to convince us that it's the final word on our situation. And that's where our heart missteps. Because even though our heart may be right, God is greater than our heart. You see, 1 John 3 verse 4 says this, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. We all know that. But you know that... He he appeared so that he might take away our sin and in him is no sin. And what this means is that Jesus came to quash the accusation of our heart. Not by rubbishing it or by sweeping it under a rug. He came personally to take out our trash. He came to deal with our sin. He came to remove our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Romans 8, 1 through 4. And this, Romans 8, 1 through 4, is what we need to remind our heart. Even when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart. See what great love the Father has what? has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. In, in Christ, our identity is not whatever our hearts tell us. Our identity is as children of God. Hallelujah. Friends, verse 19 of chapter 3 shows us what God's goal is for your life. If you want to know what God's goal is for your life, read 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. His goal is that you would know that you belong to the truth. And his second goal is this, that he wants you to be at rest in his presence. So his goal for you as a human being is that you would know that you belong and that you are at rest. In other words, God wants you to feel at home. When we come to him with our worries and our doubts and our fears, Father God invites us into his living room. He tells us to put up our feet on the couch, and then he goes into the kitchen and he fixes us a cup of tea. God's presence is home. He he wants us to know that we belong to him. He wants our hearts set at rest in his presence. Now, I wonder if you knew that God's manifest presence was here right now, I wonder how many of you would feel at rest. How many of you, if you knew that God was here right now, how many of you would say, I'm at home? You see, it breaks his heart when we don't feel at home when we're with him. It would be like my girls sitting at the dinner table and thinking that they had to call me sir every time they addressed me and that they weren't allowed to speak unless they were spoken to. No, around the meal table, I want to have the hum of chatter and conversation. And God's wish is that you would just chat with him, that you would spend time with him, that you would feel at home in his presence. Amen. Last week, we we, we had a super windy day, and I remember, maybe you remember it, it was amazing, just really, really windy, and I remember sitting at home in my living room, and I could see the trees blowing outside, Um, I could see them moving with the wind, and I knew as well that the air in the house was quite stale, it was quite still, it was quite quiet, and I knew how invigorating it is when you're windblown how great it feels, how it makes me feel alive. I, I, when I'm windblown, when I'm there with the wind blowing through my hair, um, you know, it awakens my senses. It, it refreshes me, it invigorates me, it stimulates me. But I also knew that I was comfortable in my lazy boy. I knew that it would require effort to get up out of my chair and to do something about it, and I did. I opened the windows and I let the wind in and the wind blew in and replaced the stale air of the living room and I breathed fresh air that brought life. As the worship team comes back up, I want you to know this, that when you allow your heart to condemn you, you are wallowing in stale air. You're in a funk, but you're also kind of comfortable. We see, we see God doing stuff out there and changing lives out there. We see the impact and the effect of, 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 of other people as they encounter the wind of God's Spirit. And we're happy to watch, but we also keep the window closed. Friends, we need to open that window. We need to let God in. We need to know the enlivening presence of God and the convicting presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Our hearts, they condemn us, and this leads us into death. But the Spirit convicts us, and this leads us into life. We need to know this God that is greater than our hearts. We need to get that supervisor back on the line and have a conversation with him. You know, God is not some idealistic schmuck that doesn't know the real you. And if he knew the real you, then he'd never want anything to do with you. That's not who God is. Because verse 20 tells us that if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. He knows everything. God knows everything. And it's this everything that God knows that moved him to send Jesus to sacrifice himself on the cross for you. And so when we, let, when we let in the wind of the Spirit, he will clear out this stale air of sin. When we get God back on the phone and we have a conversation with him, he will speak his truth into our lives. And what is the result of that conversation with God? We, we will know that we belong to the truth, as verse 19 tells us, and we will set ourselves at rest in his presence we will breathe a sigh of relief and say maybe everything isn't fixed around me but i know that i'm home right now so my dear friends loved of god and cherished by him do you want to know that you belong Do you want to know what it is to be at rest in God's presence? Do you want to feel at home with him? Then let God know that he can come into your home. Do you wanna feel welcomed by God? Then let God know that he's welcome to come into your house. You don't need to fix things up before allowing him in. Your heart tells you that you have to do that. You have to fix things up and then God comes in, but your heart is a liar. Your heart is full of it. Your heart doesn't know what it's talking about. Jesus already fixed everything on the cross. And Jesus is God. And God is greater than your heart. And he knows everything. This morning, let him in.